The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Oh Lord, mighty and awesome God, how shall we pray? Would you be clear with us today about you, your desire, your heart cry? that we would know how to pray. Lord, would you come and speak with us? 
Would you let your word penetrate our hearts and our minds? Lord, thank you. We praise and worship your name. Amen. Last night, I was having a a very difficult struggle with the Lord. I can't afford anymore to have shotgun prayers where I just pray for each person who's asked and for every issue that I know of. I can't do that anymore. I need to know precisely what Jesus is asking me to pray for so that I can pray in accord with his will. For it's his will that we desire. It's not our own. He's not Santa Claus that I can go and ask whatever I desire and expect to receive it. It's clear it has to be prayed in accord with his will. It has to be what Jesus wants. So I've been struggling with that and saying, Jesus, please help me know how to pray. My heart is to pray. It's to cry out to God. But but what shall I pray for? There are so many things. Our nation, finances, individual people. There's so much need, so much need, so much need. How shall I pray? I know that the most important thing I can do is to pray. It's more important than my being on the air with you. It's more important than preaching or teaching. God is the one who's in charge. It's his mission. It's his It's his rescue for the human heart that I want to be involved with. I can't rescue anybody. I can't I can't do it. Jesus said you can do nothing without me. Well, this morning I woke up at 5 again. And I began to pray. And then I I got up from my prayer closet was well past nine and I went to check my phone to see if anyone had texted me or called me. A dear brother, Peter, from New England had sent me a text. I want to read you the text. Reading Exodus 32 this morning. The church today is like the people and Aaron who fell into idolatry with the golden calf while thinking they were still following the Lord. Verse 5, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. That's what Aaron announced. He goes on. I think we have a role of interceding like Moses now. He pleaded, Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Verse 12. This is our time to intercede with perseverance.
for his church and our nation. I wrote back, I was troubled last night and then woke up to pray at five this morning. I was asking Jesus, how shall I pray in accord with your will? I can no longer pray shotgun prayers. I need to know and pray the will of God. Your text, Peter, was the answer for me, sent from the throne room of heaven. Verse 12 will be my cry. God bless you. Thank you for your word to me. This is God's word to us. I want to go back with you, please. And I want to look quickly at this story of Moses in Exodus You recall the children of Israel when Moses stayed on the mountain too long for their satisfaction, went to Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took them and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are, the, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, that is, sexual impurity. Now, I want you to see, because God did not bring Moses back to them in the time they expected, they said, come on, Aaron, make us gods that will go before us who brought us up out of Egypt. And what did he make? A golden calf. Well, what's the significance? The golden calf was a symbol for them of prosperity, of money. How many of our churches today have turned away from Jesus and have taken out large mortgages with Pharaoh, with the banks, and now they're in serious trouble because of COVID and being vomited out of the churches? In so many ways... The American church thinks that money will solve every problem. I'm here to tell you, money does not solve the problem, particularly money that comes with our back being turned to the Lord and not trusting in Him. So we combined money, prosperity, and hold festivals to the Lord. And it's wicked. It's evil. So we hold our big concerts and charge big bucks 
in our church buildings that are supposedly the place where the Lord God dwells among us. We run our programs. We hire our pastors with big salaries. It's more of a business than a church. Now, there's another passage I want to read for you. It's found in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. I'm going to come back to the story of Moses, but let me share this. 2 Timothy, the third chapter, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Do you understand? He's speaking about the church. He's saying in the last day, this is what the church is going to look like. And then he says, have nothing to do with them. But wait, how do we have nothing to do with them when it's us? It's the church. Well, this story of of Moses is very troubling. Because the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. The word corrupt in the Hebrew is used for fruit in a basket. And when it turns rotten and draws flies, it's described as corrupt. It's described as corrupt. Now he says, they've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it and and sacrificed to it. And they've said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, they are a a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the desert? The Egyptians will say he wiped them off the face of the earth. 
turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham and Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I'll give your descendants all this land. Now Moses turned, and he went down to the people. He had in his hands the tablets that God had written upon. He had engraved the Ten Commandments. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces. And he took the calf that they'd made and burned it in the fire. He ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and then made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did the prophets do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Oh, wait a minute. Now we see there are false miracles happening among the people that Aaron is calling them to believe. Well, judgment immediately came as Moses ordered those who came close to him to strap on their swords and go through the camp and kill everyone they could get a hold of who was involved in this wickedness. Then Moses went back to the Lord and he said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. And the Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go and lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did and the calf that Aaron had made. Then the Lord said to Moses, chapter 33, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Are you beginning to sense what I'm saying to you today? I'm very concerned that God will destroy the church in America. I know that the the church in America has sinned so grievously. We have sinned against Almighty God. In my prayer closet, I was saying, Lord, I deserve to die for the sin of my life. I was raised as a Christian, and yet my heart has been filled with pride and arrogance. I've not walked uprightly before you. I've been lazy. I've been slow. I've said and done things that you're not pleased with. 
I'm astonished you have not killed me. For surely I deserve to die. But so does the American church. Well, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. The Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you. I know you by name. And Moses said, now show me your glory. Now the Lord said, when my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by and then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but not my face. Now the Lord came down in a cloud, chapter 34, verse 5, and stood there with him, with Moses, and proclaimed his name. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. And Moses bowed to the ground, and he worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Now please, hear me. This is how we're called to pray at this time in history in America. First, we must find favor with God by repenting of our own sins, of being washed and sanctified. And then the cry of our heart has to be, Oh Lord, forgive this stiff-necked people. Forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Do you understand? We serve a God who's a jealous God. We serve a God who's a jealous God. I'm very concerned today. I'm very concerned because the church has been led astray. 
prophets, pastors, have preached a gospel that has allowed a milk toast, easy believism, cheap grace, no timber in the gospel message calling for repentance. Let me read for you. My heart is broken. This is Jeremiah 23, 9. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine. That describes me. Because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers because of the curse. The land lies parched. I would add the church is full of adulterers. And because of the curse, the land is parched. It's dry. The Holy Spirit has been grieved from the American church. The pastures in the desert are withered. The prophets, pastors, follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will be slippery and they will be banished to darkness and they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw their repulsive things. They prophesied by by Baal, by prosperity. What we've heard from most of the prophets is A great and wonderful thing is about to happen. God is going to untap the wells of revival, and we're going to see revival flow in America. Well, that would be awesome. But then they add to that, it's time to launch out into a a whole new era, and, and we're going to win, and we're going to be prosperous, and everything's going to be wonderful for us. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very threatening. It's going to be difficult because God cannot deal with the people who will not repent. And we have not repented in America. We want all the blessings of God to be poured out. We want the blessings poured out. But Jesus wants the repentance poured out. I hear prophets calling themselves apostles, speaking about a mixture of new age philosophy and thought, prosperity thinking, and a few God words to make it seem okay. 
even mentioning sin in a generic sense, but not pinpointing the sin and calling the people to repent. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They will fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of your hearts, they say no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he accomplishes his purpose in his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send those prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in their hearts of these lying prophets who prophesied the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their fathers forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophets who had a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rock into pieces? I'll tell you how you can tell the difference between a real prophet and a false prophet, a real preacher and a false preacher. A false prophet or a false preacher will come prophesying good things for you. I remember there was a prophetess who stood in front of a large congregation. As I listened, she stood up, was introduced with glowing words by the senior pastor. And then she said, one of you has a boat, a cruiser, and you've not been able to sell it. I want to tell you, you're going to sell it for top price. Don't worry, it's sold. And I said, what? What? What did she just say? She's come speaking about prosperity and gold, money? When we sit in her presence in sin? Idolatry? Wickedness? And her concern is, your boat is sold. It's this kind of foolishness that has led God's people astray in America. I'm very concerned. 
and I know that the cry of our heart, the prayer of our lips, must be, O God, do not destroy your people. Do not destroy your pastors and your prophets, but instead put your word in our mouth and let us call for repentance and let us address the sin that is so prevalent among us. Why should we be beaten anymore? We've already been vomited out of the church buildings. Many of you have lost your jobs. Many of you are on food stamps or unemployment. Many of you are having an extremely hard time. Isn't it time we repent and cry out to God and say, Spare your people. Spare your people. One precious woman called yesterday. She said, I'm 88 years old. Would you pray for me, Pastor? Betty, will you pray for me, Pastor? Will you make a special prayer for me that I could serve Jesus totally, completely with my whole heart and life for whatever time I have left, a month, a week, five years, 20 years, let me serve only Jesus. The Spirit of God is ministering to her heart. She's on the right track. I know that some of you, you have a heart cry for God. You desire the Lord more than anything. And I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God will hear your cry. And it is true. We must cry aloud to the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. We must intercede as Moses did for the children of Israel. We must intercede for the American church. For the American church has turned to a church of Laodicea. And the church is resisting, powerfully resisting, being crucified with Christ. Instead, the church today in America wants ritual so they can go on and enjoy their American entertainment. Or they want prosperity. They want money. But they don't really want Jesus. They don't want to lay their life down for Jesus Christ. Now, there's no condemnation in my heart toward the American church. I love the church. 
the churches beloved of Jesus. That's why I say we must pray for the church. Oh, pastor, should we pray for the church before we pray for the nation? Yes, yes. We must pray first for the church. We must cry aloud that the church will turn and repent before Almighty God. What can we do with America, with the church, sinning just like the world, watching the same programs, going to the same places, spending their money the same way? How can we even begin to touch the world in any significant way with evangelism when the church is as wicked as the world is? Like the pastor who said, hey, I know how to hang with the world and I know how to hang with the church. He was comfortable at the club. He was comfortable at the bar. He was comfortable at the racetrack. He was comfortable at the baseball or basketball or football. He could talk with anybody about the stats. He was a a hail fellow well met. No, no, come out of her, my people, and touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's where we stand. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. You see, we've, I, and I want to include you, because many of you who listen to this broadcast day by day are very serious Christians. And I believe that many of you, like me, did not know how to pray what you should be praying about. And I want to be very clear with you. We need to be praying for the church that God will not destroy the American church. The anger of God has been roused. The heart of God is breaking over his people in America. I think of some of the people around the world who are laying their lives down for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the persecution that China suffered and is suffering. Saudi Arabia, Vietnam, many parts of Nigeria, many parts of the world, Indonesia, Christians are dying. We're going to see persecution in America. And I'm praying, oh God, prepare your people. Prepare us. Don't let us be destroyed by your judgments. I tell you, if, if the Lord does not go with us into this promised land, I don't want to go. I have to say like Moses did, Lord, don't send us alone. We can do nothing without you, Jesus. 
I'm not going to plunge into some great evangelistic campaign until I know Jesus is with me. I'm not going to speak to the world until I know Jesus is with me. I want you to know that Jesus is with you. And I'm asking, will you please, will you please pray with me for the church in America? If you're listening overseas, another nation, please would you pray for the American church? We're in trouble. Oh, we've got churches on every corner. We've got the most beautiful facilities the church has ever had. We have such budgets. Pastors are being paid astronomical salaries. Life is good in the American church. We seem to be very successful, but we're not. We're failing. We're not touching our culture. We've become like our culture. We've become a business. Pastors have become program managers. Nobody's being converted. And most of the people in the church are not converted. And God's wrath has been aroused against the American church. We see it on every hand. On Ezekiel 13, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel and told him to prophesy against the the prophets, the pastors. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among the ruins. You've not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel, so that it will stand for the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? I think of a few men who have spoken recently. Dana Coverstone, an honest, upright man of God, who received dreams, and he shared those dreams with no claims They are obviously dreams calling the church to pray and calling the church to repent. That is the mark of a true pastor or a true prophet. In our wicked age, in the church that is being destroyed by worldliness in America, any pastor who has the courage to stand up and say, it's time to repent, I have great respect for. My father in the faith was Pastor David Wilkerson from Times Square Church. I loved him 
like a father. I spent many hours talking and praying with him. He said to me, Ray, preach to the American church. Preach judgment with mercy. He shook his finger in my face. Preach judgment with mercy. I have a very tender heart toward the church. And so the focus of my prayer life is going to be like a laser to the throne room of God. Please, Lord, have mercy on your, on your church and on your people. Please, Lord, don't destroy us, for we deserve destruction. But rescue us. Establish us in justice and in righteousness. Establish us, O oh God, in revival. Now again, the Lord has shown me revival. And again, it was not happy, happy, clap, clap, sing, sing. If you look at the revivals of the past, many of them spent no time in singing. Jonathan Edwards did not spend time singing for a half hour, 45 minutes before he began to preach. Neither did George Whitfield. They might sing a hymn, but they were not trying to create an emotional response. They trusted the Holy Spirit to deal with the emotions. Charles Finney, another example. He would sometimes just stand up and preach. Same thing with this story I read yesterday of Guy Bevington. Why? Because it's the Word of God that breaks the hardness of the human heart. It's not the sentimental singing of some shallow song today. It's the Holy Spirit coming in power and convicting the human heart. We need God to come and convict the church of its sin today. Andrew Strom, whom I have great respect for, withdrew from much of the false prophetic movement of our day. And he said, we have... We have created churchgoers, but not Christians. I think he's right. That has to change. God wants honesty and integrity. He wants us to open our hearts to him and let him deal honestly with us. He wants to restore us. They lead my people astray. Verse 10, this is 
Ezekiel 13.10, peace when there's no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it's going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurling down, and violent winds will burst forth, and then the wall will collapse. Will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, In my wrath I will unleash a violent wind, and in my anger hailstones and torrents of rain will fall and destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you've covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that the foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. I'm saying, oh God, please have mercy on your people. Remember when the Lord showed Moses who he was? The Lord's own words. The Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Either we repent or the punishment and judgment of God will come upon the American church and utterly destroy it. We are not going to be able to continue as we did before COVID came. It's time to repent. Now, I know the message I'm bringing to you today is not popular. I know the American church wants to hear soft words. They want to hear, oh, you're loved and everything is fine. You're on the right track. And here is a a wonderful prophecy for you about how God is going to bless you in the future. Stop. Stop. God is not going to bless you in the future until you have repented of your sin. Until you've humbled your heart before Almighty God. Oh, Lord. Mighty King. I know you are tender and long-suffering, merciful, forgiving. I ask today for your church. I intercede for your church in America and ask, O God, that you would not destroy us. We deserve destruction, Jesus. But I ask that instead you would send judgments unto repentance, unto revival, unto getting right with you, Jesus. I pray that you will shut the lying mouths of those who just prophesy positive things and don't ever deal with the real core issue of the American church, which is worldliness and wickedness, idolatry, adultery, fornication, pornography, pride, arrogance, stealing, lying, cheating. Lord, come. 
Come and deal with us as your people. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. If you'd like to make sure that this broadcast stays on the air, I need to hear from you. Thank you to each one that has written or gone online and donated. Thank you so much. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. Click on that and you can give online. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for those of you who were on the live chat today on our YouTube. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory